I don't really think Disney and Pixar anticipated this or planned it this way, but Incredibles 2 really is a pretty fitting Father's Day movie. So if you're looking for something to go see, just saying. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this episode, we're going to be talking about Incredibles 2, the brand new film from Disney and Pixar, as well as just sort of jumping into a broader discussion on Pixar Animation Studios, uh, its filmography, its history, what, you know, just kind of general sweeping thoughts on my perspective on Pixar, what it means to me, and that kind of thing. So, first things first, um, you can read my Incredibles 2 review on monkeysfightingrobots.com. I'll put the link to that in the show notes below. Um, overall, I know it's the, it's, according to the box office results, it looks like it's aiming for about $180 million this weekend, which is by far a record for an animated film. And, you know, it makes sense. It's been 14 years since the original Incredibles film. You have writer-director Brad Bird back leading this, uh, this entry in the, in the franchise. And I think it's, you know, the box office results really show not only how much people love the first one, but how much people have been waiting for a sequel. I mean, we've gotten uh, a third Toy Story, three Cars movies, a Monsters University, a Monsters, Monsters Inc. prequel, essentially, Finding Nemo sequel slash spinoff, and, you know, in between, the, in the gap between the, the first two Incredibles movies. And um, this has always struck me as the Pixar franchise that most lent itself to a f- series of films, as opposed to a one-off, just by the you know, the sheer nature of the fact that it's a superhero story and there's always other villains to face. And, and uh, you know, your family, the family dynamic, which was very much at the heart of these uh, of the first film, as well as this one, um, evolves over time. And, and you, know, um, you know, the roles of parent and child um, change just like people change in real life and, and develop over, um, you know, the different stages of especially childhood, adolescence, and that kind of thing. So it... It makes sense that Pixar is finally pursuing a sequel to that. I think the big holdout, as far as I know, is uh, was Bird himself. I believe he was sort of reticent to make a sequel because he's not really doesn't really see himself as a sequel guy. He didn't want to get stuck into that trap. Of course, then we've had you know uh, the whole debacle with Tomorrowland, which if you're not listening to Blank Check podcast, they've been doing a Brad Bird filmography on all his films. Um, I believe this week. This week, they're supposed to post the Tomorrowland review, but that was very much Brad Bird's blank check film, which uh, the one that, that really crashed and burned um, for him creatively. Not that the film was terrible, but it did sort of feel a little bit uneven and um, like it had a, a great concept that wasn't fully realized or at least executed to the full extent of its potential. But Disney lost a lot of money on that film. And I think that really set him back and made him realize, well, you know what? Maybe the Incredible sequel is looking pretty good right now. Uh, I don't know if they were really working on it before then. They may have been. Um, maybe it was part of, maybe they let him do Tomorrowland in order for him to commit to Incredibles 2. Uh, it's uh, it's unclear. But, you know, before before the first Incredibles, he'd only done uh, The Iron Giant. And then after Incredibles, he did uh, Ratatouille, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, and then Tomorrowland. And now he's returning to this franchise. So... The bottom line is you want to know my thoughts. Is Incredibles 2 any good? Yeah, it, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Um, I think you can see a lot of 
a lot of Brad Bird trying to come up with a sequel idea that wasn't natural. It didn't come about organically. That this feels this feels like the kind of movie that didn't wasn't already you know it wasn't the kind of thing that he had written the first one and he had ooh notes for what would happen in the sequel. This feels very much like okay, I told that story now shit, what am I supposed to, what happens next? I guess I have to come up with a sequel because the studio wants one. It does feel very much that. It's not necessarily a cash grab per se. I mean, it all all films are to a certain extent, but it doesn't feel like something that he was super necessarily passionate about from the get-go. I'm sure once he wrote the story, once he had ideas, once they were in production, I'm sure he got more invested in the project and he's very committed to everything that he does. It shows in his filmography, which is pretty solid, even though Tomorrowland is a little bit of a weak spot for me personally, and I guess for the industry at large. Um, but it doesn't feel like something that he was necessarily um, necessarily really passionate about from, from the jump. It's not something that he, he really felt like, oh, I need to tell this story, or anything like that. But it, it, it has a lot of great character moments. Um, the gist of the story is basically an inverse of the first film, whereas Incredibles 1 focused on Mr. Incredible and his sort of secret mission, keeping that from his wife and his sort of using that as uh, a metaphor for like a midlife crisis and for marital problems and, and um, you know, the fact that the family sort of had fallen apart, so to speak, or drift, drifted apart. Uh, in this one, it's Elastigirl that actually takes point on the superhero mission part of it. So she's out there trying to um, basically rehabilitate the image of supers in this world where they're still outlawed. And Mr. Incredible is the one at home with the kids dealing with Jack-Jack's evolving powers, dealing with uh, a kind of convoluted subplot with Violet and uh, the the boy that she likes. Um, and Dash is having math problems, I guess. That's pretty much the only real subplot that Dash gets this, turn, this time around, which is far less effective than, I think, his um, wanting to compete in sports and, and be more involved and show off his powers in the first film. Basically, Incredibles 2 feels beat for beat very similar to Incredibles 1 uh, in a lot of ways. There's, you know, they, he does like clever twists on certain elements of the first film, but like, as I said, inverse, inverting the focus. And I think it basically does reveal that Elastigirl is probably the most dynamic character of the, the Parr family. She's the most interesting. She's the most uh, fun to watch in battle. She's... Uh, you know, she's one of the most complex characters of the bunch, I'd say. Um, but you get a lot of callbacks to the original film, not like hardcore fan service, but there's Edna Moat shows up again to help them in a moment of crisis, uh, to help the par that the par member of the par family that's um, left with the children, left running the family, as opposed to the one that's out running missions. Um, you get another call, you get more, more Frozone, which is nice because I think Samuel L. Jackson probably wanted a bigger role. And I know that character and his honey, where's my super suit was a really standout moment from the first film. So you get a little bit of a callback to that. And, um, it's, it, it's fun. It's got a lot of, of things going for it. Uh, but my problem with it is, and this is my sort of dilemma with this film is I did give it a positive review on Monkeys Fighting Robots but it's one of those films that you walk out and you're like that was a great experience I really enjoyed this scene and I really enjoyed this scene but there's nothing in it if you put it if you put it um, 
if you break it down, the different elements of the story, and you put it up against the first one, it basically falls short on, on pretty much every level. Um, I think the first one is more imaginative. I think the first one has feels fresher. I mean, by, by sheer nature that it's not a sequel. Um, I think the some of the action beats are more memorable. I think this one has it looks bad looks better because the animation has improved over the last fourteen years, and it's gotten a lot richer. Uh, but there's nothing in here that made that felt to me like an improvement upon the original. It felt like a continuation, but like basically falls into the sequelitis issue where more and bigger. So there's actually there's simultaneously not enough going on, but too much going on at the same time. And I think part of that goes part of that just chalked up to the fact that a lot of the subplots aren't aren't particularly effective. Uh, as I mentioned, Dash's story here is basically a non-issue. Violet sort of feels just kind of like a rehash of her story from the first one, and uh, it doesn't really even get properly resolved with certain elements of it. Uh, Mr. Incredible's thing is great, but he's just kind of waiting around, struggling with that. That's probably the most relatable part of the film. From you know, I'm a, I'm a father of a small child, and so the things with him and Jack-Jack and being tired and trying to figure out how to how to, uh, you know, being stressed out and trying to figure all that out, navigate the world of parenthood from a more hands-on perspective. I thought that all really worked and was fun to watch, but at the same time, didn't really expand upon the world of Incredibles too much. Just The film was a, was a, I mean, I'm glad we have it, but it's not necessarily something that, it didn't, it's not a next level sequel. Or as I feel like Toy Story 2, in a way, improves upon the first one and and deepens the characters a lot more there was nothing here that uh, that was at that quite at that same level i'd probably say as far as the pixar sequels go i'd probably say this is above the cars because everything's above the car movies for me pretty much with pixar uh and above slightly above finding dory but like but low below toy story 2 and and toy story 3 like those films are far superior as far as developing the characters, developing the universe in which they live. And I absolutely want to see an Incredibles 3. And I hope that they don't wait another 14 years to get on that because these characters have so much life in them. And uh, there's so much, so many more stories to tell in this world with the pars and, and the whole ban on supers and, and uh, all of the various elements in this film that could be picked up on. But I, I, just, I hope that they take more time and take more care in developing the next one because, uh, like I said, this was a bit of a, a, a bit of a step down from The Incredibles, which is essentially a perfect movie. So it was kind of what was always going to be, even though it's super solid on its own right. So on Monkeys Fighting Robots, it breaks down a little more uneven. But if I have to pick a, uh, a solid, you know, half star delineation, I would probably say this is a four star film. Maybe slightly higher. I was between four and four point five stars for a while. But when you're talking about the sequel to The Incredibles, which is easily a five star film for me, um, it still feels like a little bit of a letdown. Even though if it was any other movie, if it wasn't a sequel to, essentially, in my opinion, the best Pixar movie ever made, it would feel like you know it would feel like one of the best animated films uh, of the year. Uh, it probably still is one of the best animated films of the year, but it doesn't feel like the achievement that it would have otherwise, if that makes sense. So that's just my brief thoughts on Incredibles 2. Definitely see it. Take your kids. Uh, it's, a, it's a ton of fun, and it's a lot of... Uh, it's, it's everything you would want it to be, but it's just not, to me, more than you would want it to be. It, it meets your expectations but without really blowing you away, I guess. 
It's actually a perfect segue into a broader discussion on Pixar. So what I wanted to talk about here is Pixar has, since they came out with their first feature in 1995, that being, of course, Toy Story, has really established itself as a brand in in the same way that Disney has. When you see a Disney movie, you know what you're expecting. You know you're going to get music. You're going to get usually a princess or some kind of fairy tale. You're going to get a film with a lot of heart and humor and um, something that will appeal presumably to all ages. And I think Pixar not only has sort of not copied that that tone, but um, definitely is, it feels influenced by the Disney films that preceded it, um, that preceded the creation of the studio in general. I mean, before Toy Story, they were doing a lot of short films and things like that. But that film was such a landmark of cinema, uh, especially for animation, but got a uh, special achievement Oscar and immediately established Pixar as its own, its own, uh, you know, its own, stu- its own studio. But I was going to say its own creative brain trust. They, they basically essentially have a select number of people in a room that they'd help develop, break stories, and and then from there, you know, uh, people are advanced up to directors or sole screenwriters, that kind of thing. But a lot of their things, it's very collaborative environments. Um, within Pixar. I was actually, I remember years ago, I was at a screenwriting expo because I, you know, dabble in that a little bit as well. I think most people interested in this industry do at some point. Um, and I do think that they, they did have a session about the unique collaborative atmosphere and the environment, um, that Pixar has cultivated since the very beginning. And that's been apparent in their films. Um, for me, they have, so Incredibles 2 is their 20th film. For me, a Pixar film has always meant not only taking those those uh, core elements of uh, a Disney film. I mean, granted, most of the Incredibles movies, or most of the Incredibles movies, most of the Pixar movies are not musicals. They have musical numbers uh, or like key, you know, songs, uh, musical sequences. I'm thinking of uh, When She Loved Me from Toy Story 2 or, um, you know, the... Well, I guess the most, I get the best example. The only real musical one that they have is Coco. A lot of the other ones have music plays a key role, especially with the score, which is usually by Randy Newman or Thomas Newman or Michael Giacchino. Um, but they, uh, they don't, they, they nail the whole, the, the humor and the heart and the uh, imagination that Disney has brought to things back in the day. Um, and, and more recently with the second Disney Renaissance with films like Big Hero 6 and Zootopia and Moana. But to me, there's something very specific about a, what a Pixar film is. It always feels more mature, uh, typically more mature than a Disney film. And I don't mean mature as in racy. I mean mature as in the themes are richer and they almost feel like animated films that are that are inspired by the Disney mold that are made really more for adults to connect to, to emotionally resonate with. I mean, you talk about Up and that whole story and that whole, you know, uh, unforgettable sequence with uh, the love story there and how the tragic turn that happens in uh, in that film. Or, you know, some of the elements in films like The Incredibles, as I was mentioning, with it's basically a metaphor for midlife crisis and and like having marital issues. Or, um, you know, films like Inside Out, which is about the equally equal importance of 
joy and sadness in your life and how they kind of inform one another and how it's okay to feel sadness that you shouldn't be perpetuating that that one specifically holds hey, holds up to me as as a film that feels like it's really aimed more towards adults than kids um that joy and sadness both are important and you need them in in to, not to teach your kids necessarily to bury their sadness but to express it and to work through it to face it to use that sadness to uh, highlight the the positive things in their life, or something like Coco, which is about legacy and remembering um, remembering the people in your life that you've lost, and keeping their memory alive, and following your dreams, and being true to yourself, and balancing your creates creative aspirations with your obligation to the people in your life. And um, Pixar, to me, has always always manages to hit uh, a level of sophistication with their stories and see the world in ways that we've never teach us to see the world in ways that we've never seen it always there's always and this is a common thread through a lot of their especially their the first half of their filmography it's like the world of toys that you never knew existed the world of bugs that you never knew existed the world of monsters in your closet and how you open the, the closet door and you're in a whole nother you're in a whole other universe uh, of Monstropolis and this whole monster-centric city, or this is what fish are up to, or cars, or you know, little rats that want to be chefs. I don't know. Um, they they uh, they do. I, I mean, I quote this way too often, but um, you know, if films are empathy machines, as Roger Ebert famously said, and I'm reading a Roger Ebert book, Ebert book now, so that's probably why that quote is even more uh, you know more top of mind for me than usual. The Pixar kind of tries; they take it upon themselves to humanize everything. They humanize stories with touching to all forms of of life, and even things that aren't sentient, like cars, uh, like uh, or things that don't exist, like monsters, or things that are intangible, like emotions. They find a way of cutting into uh, a concept like that and boiling it down so that it resonates emotionally with adults who see themselves in it and see the struggle in it. And it touches the inner child in them as well as, you know, as well as rings true with their experience as an adult, but also has enough, you know, humor and enough colors and enough uh, music or, or, you know, fun characters to still attract kids. So the kids aren't bored. Kids are just as invested as adults, but you're teaching, you're basically putting messages in there that make the adults appreciate their life or see it better uh, or see you know see things in a better context or, or a more enlightened perspective but you're also teaching these important messages to kids so that they can understand um you know i mean toy story 3 for god's sake is all about mortality basically that whole movie is about oh when you're reaching the end of your life what do you do what how do you manage how does that what is how does that affect you that's a, that's essentially what that movie's about and i think you know Pixar has so geniusly managed to play with these adult themes in the context of a children's film, essentially, or a series of children's films, as it may be. So that's, to me, what, what Pixar really means, what makes that studio so unique and its films so impactful. Um, it's why every time I see a Pixar movie on the schedule, I'm immediately intrigued, even when a lot of times their teasers and their trailers are not really that not really that great because they don't really want to show anything you, you know traditionally at least early on their teasers were not even footage from the films themselves they were just sort of a 
minute and a half like long sketch inspired by the actual film just trying to get you in the mindset of what tone and you know kind of the idea of what they're going for so for me uh pixar is always anytime pixar comes out with anything i'm there at this uh, as of now to be honest though as of now the only pixar film i haven't seen is cars 3 because that's my one one like blank spot with the car uh with the pixar films that i did not really enjoy the first cars i thought it was fine but i thought it was the first film that they came out with where i was underwhelmed and like eh, this was kind of boring um so i cars the cars sequels i'm less well versed on than i should be as a cars uh, as a pixar fanatic which I guess I, I guess I sort of qualify as, but um, other than that, I've seen all these films. I own almost all these films on either DVD or Blu-ray, um, you know, and I've seen most of them multiple times. And uh, you know, about two thirds of their filmography is bananas good. Like basically, either a near masterpiece or a masterpiece. Like they're all about at least half of them are four point five and five star films which is insane for any other studio or brand that you know if i went through the first if i went through like the last 20 disney films there's no way they would have that and by disney i mean walt disney animation studios obviously um so like moana zootopia those and there's no way they would have that level of success um just speaking to me personally my top five my, my some of my favorite pixar films are the toy story films uh Probably the first and third one, slightly more than the second one. Uh, Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Wall-E, and uh, just below that, probably Inside Out. Those are those are the ones that, to me, and and then Coco, I guess. I'm not really ranking them all. You can see my Letterboxd account, uh, Letterboxd.com, to uh, to see my full ranking. And I have to put Incredibles two in there. I haven't done that just yet. But those are some of the the films that, to me, uh, inhabit or exhibit the qualities of, that I just said that make Pixar so great and uh, make their films so eminently rewatchable. That being said, even though Pixar has an amazing track record, there's still been some mis missteps in their history, and I should probably get into those a little bit now. So the first one, as I mentioned, was Cars. That film felt very prosaic to me. It felt uh, it had the imagination on the surface from a conceptual standpoint of oh, what if cars were alive. But the story felt very cookie cutter for uh, Pixar, and to me, it felt like basically the the first the first uh, hint of of weakness, the first that okay, this studio is capable of producing not a flop, but kind of a substandard uh, film that didn't exactly you know light the world on fire. And even though those film was a hit and it sold tons of merchandise, which is why they made the sequels, um, for me, it's never been something I've ever felt really like I wanted to revisit. Um, you know, coming after Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, and The Incredibles, Cars was 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 my first disappointment with Pixar. Then you follow that with Ratatouille, which is a really strong film, and I know a lot of people actually, I feel like it's aged really well. A lot of people seem to think that that's one of their best ones, which I, I don't know if I can quite go that far, but it is it is a really good film, and it was Brad Bird's second Pixar film. But then you had Wally, -E, which to me is the one of the best. Up, which is slightly overrated. I mean, it did. It's it's great, but it, it got a Best Picture nomination, and I don't really think it's one of the best best Pixar films. Despite that opening sequence and the amazing Michael Giacchino score, Toy Story three, which is uh, an excellent film, Cars two, which is not an excellent film, and then after Toy Story three, really to me, they had a few a few kind of a few missteps 
in a row. And that would be Cars 2, which to me is by far, and I think most people agree with this, the weakest film that they've come out with to date. That that feels like a cash grab um, in the way that Incredibles 2 doesn't. And it basically feels like a straight-to-DVD Pixar film. It feels like the straight-to-DVD Pixar film that Toy Story 2 almost ended up being, that feels, feels like what Cars 2 is to me. And uh, it's not, on, not only have I not felt the urge to revisit it, I actually rented it one time. I did not see it in theaters because, as I mentioned, not a fan of Cars. And um, I think I actually turned it off halfway through because I was like, this is really terrible. And it depressed me to watch a Pixar movie that was that bad. Um, so that's their biggest like shit movie that I've seen. Um, with the, you know, the close second being another film I'm talking about in a minute. Oh, not, not the very next one, but a little bit. Uh, Brave came out after Cars 2, and Brave is not necessarily a bad film. I think it's good. I think it got a lot of crap. Uh, I don't know why exactly it got so much crap. Uh, probably because it's a princess, and it, to me it feels like, it's a, it feels not quite prosaic in the way that the Cars storyline is, because there, there are a lot of interesting twists and turns in Brave, um, and I think the marketing did it a really good favor by not revealing exactly what the story is of that film is exactly uh, with Merida and her mom and that whole how that all plays out. Um, but it does feel like it doesn't feel inherently Pixar. And I think that's my biggest issue with it. It feels like a movie that Disney, Walt Disney Animation Studios could have easily made. It didn't it doesn't it doesn't have the quite the imagination or ingenuity to it that a lot of the other Pixar films have. Um, and it's interesting here because like I said, after Toy Story 3, you have Cars 2, which is not that great, Brave, which is fine, and, but after Toy Story 3, you have like four, like, it becomes very much hit or miss, actually, basically, basically after that, every other Pixar film is really great, and I'm hoping that Incredibles 2 can change that pattern. So you had Toy Story 3, Cars 2, Brave, and then Monsters University, which is, again, after Brave, which is not great, but decent. Monsters University feels like another misstep. I don't know who on earth wanted a prequel to Monsters, Inc., uh, but apparently Disney decided, Disney and Pixar decided that's what they wanted to do, and so Mike and Sully are in college, which, again, feels like a straight-to-DVD idea. It feels like uh, like they had a goofy movie, and then they did an extremely goofy movie. This feels like that, almost. It's it's not a terrible film. It's fine. It's just not great. It's, it's just like, I think I gave that two and a half stars, which it puts it... Not quite at the bottom of the Pixar le- list for me, but like basically bottom five. We're, of the twenty, this is this is in the bottom five, along with the Cars, uh, Cars Two, Cars. I haven't seen Cars Three, like I mentioned, and another film we're gonna get to in a in a minute here. So Monsters University just felt like an idea that nobody really asked for. It's sort of the Solo thing, the thing I said on Solo, where it's like, why does this? Why? I mean, it's, I guess you wanted to make this, and it's okay, I guess. I guess, but nobody really asked for this, and it's not you're not convincing anybody justifying its existence um, by, by the way that you're executing the idea. So that's my thing with Monsters University. Inside Out is fucking outstanding. Um, and if not top tier, then like right outside it. Um, and I, I, that's a film I need to rewatch again. Now that I have a daughter, I'm worried that if I watch that, I'm going to be an even better, uh, bigger puddle of, of tears than I was when I saw it in theaters and, and again on Blu-ray. Uh, but that is an outstanding film. And, uh, I really, I really love most of what Pete Docter does. That's the director on that movie. He also did Up and, uh, what else did he do? did another one. Uh, Monsters, Inc. So his films are, are right up there with Brad Bird's, uh, for me, 
or like on the some on a similar playing field at least. Then after Inside Out, remember Monsters University? Eh. Inside Out, great. Good Dinosaur, double. Eh. Uh, that's like the most meh movie that I think they've come out with outside the Cars films, which as I said, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much on the side of they're not for me at this point. But the Good Dinosaur is the only film that's not a Cars film that I I could I will straight up say is a bad movie. Uh, I did not enjoy that in the slightest. It felt like the tonally was all over the place. There was nothing in it that felt particularly fresh or interesting or imaginative or up to the standard that Pixar has set for itself with most of its previous films. Um, then we had Finding Dory, which I like a lot. I don't think it's perfect. I think it, it's by far substandard, but still better than, uh, or still still not as, still not up to the level of Incredibles 2. Like I said, those two are... And I, I feel like in a similar category for me in that they came out way later. They're sequels that came out over a decade after the original film that uh, attempt to do something new with those characters, but not really. I feel like Finding Dory at least has a fresher angle than Incredibles 2, which basically just does the uh, the opposite of what the first one did. But I feel like Incredibles 2 is actually executed much better and is more fun to watch, has better action, it's, it's you know, funnier moments. I just think the characters in there have more potential for future storylines. Incredibles kind of lends itself to a sequel. Finding Nemo, not so much. So I think that the fact that it's clearly a Monsters University level, we don't really need this, but we're going to give it to you anyway, I think that they actually pulled it off pretty well considering. Uh, Cars 3 I haven't seen, Coco I love, and then that brings us right up to Incredibles 2. So then they have... A, a really strong track record, and uh, it's it's interesting. I think that they rely, and this is probably the Disney uh, higher-ups influence, I think they have way too much of a focus on sequels and prequels. Other than Toy Story and Incredibles, I really have no interest in seeing follow-ups to any of those films uh, that they've released. Not you know They're not bad films, but I don't really need a Coco 2. And he goes back to the Land of the Dead, or you know, uh, Inside Out, we're back inside Riley's head and it's a different stage of her life. I don't need really to see that. I mean, Inside Out probably has more potential than most of these other ones for sequels, but I think most of them stand alone perfectly well and uh, to make a sequel or a prequel to them would only cheapen their brand. So I'm hoping that, you know, I know we're getting Toy Story 4 next and after that point, it sounds like they are planning on doing way more uh, of a focus on originals. They have films set two films set for 2020 that are supposed to be original and then another two original films uh that are in early development for i guess 21 22 around there uh 2021 2022 so it's interesting to to see uh what they're doing now it does feel like they're in a like they had a really strong run for the first decade or so and then kind of a hit or miss uh right around uh, the last eight years i'd say since toy story 3 it's been very up and down and it looks it does feel like they're starting to pivot back to the quality that we expect from them with Coco, with Incredibles 2, and then with Toy Story 4, which all those Toy Story movies are amazing. So I'm hoping that this will be up to the level. It's a new director coming into it, Josh Cooley here, as opposed to uh, John Lasseter or, and Lee Unkridge, who did the third film. Um, so it, it's now that John, La speaking of John Lasseter, of course, was uh, recently announced we would leave Pixar at the end of the year due to, I guess, harassment uh, accusations and uh, inappropriate touching and some of those kinds of things in the workplace. Um, 
it's going to be interesting to see what Pixar does next, how they pivot from there. It just, I think it does sound like Pete Docter is going to be moving up into a more pivotal role. And considering how great his the films he's directed are, I think that is a good sign. So hopefully they will stick more to originals for the time being and only go for a sequel when it, it feels absolutely necessary. I, uh, again, I'd like to see Incredibles 3. But other than that, I don't want them to milk that, uh, to milk some of these... Um, the, the more recent quality films like Inside Out and Coco for, for a while, uh, if at all. I, I think that original films have always been their strong suit. And, uh, you know, I'm really, really interested to see what they have coming up next. Um, it looks like they have like a, a, a suburban fantasy film with uh, a lot of, you know, elves and trolls and that kind of things coming up. So that could be interesting to see exactly. They haven't really done that kind of thing just yet. Um, and then they have... Yeah, so they have some interesting stuff in the pipeline. Um, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of details about them right now. So I'm definitely, uh, you know, always, I'm a long-time Pixar fan, and I'm here for pretty much anything that they do. But the fact that uh, Coco and Incredibles 2 are both um, on the upper scale of their films to date it's an encouraging sign. So I'm definitely want to, I definitely want to see them continue that hot streak. Let's, let's get back to building the reputation where Pixar is on parallel, on parallel levels of storytelling every single time, right out the box. Like they, they do not miss a beat. Um, I think we can do that. And uh, I think Pixar can do that. Not me. I can't do it. I, I, I would never presume to be like, I can handle this. Step aside, Pixar. I got this. Uh, I think Pete, Doctor, Pete Doctor's leadership, I think, is, is a wise move. Um, he's definitely earned that uh, that promotion, if anybody in-house is going to get it. Uh, I'd like to see them work more with Brad Bird, um, more with Andrew Stanton. And, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot of potential for them to continue growing and stay on the path that they've that they've been going down all this time. I think, uh, you know, there's there's a chance they could become untouchable once again, um, especially now with you know I think Leica Studios is one of the other best uh, animated studios out there right now. Disney, Walt Disney Animation Studios has really been stepping up their game lately with Moana and uh, Zootopia, and we'll see how Ralph Ricks the Internet comes out, but. Um, there's a lot of competition in animation right now, and I, I would like to see Pixar continue to prove not only their dominance, but why the, the, why their films are so great, and why uh, you know why they are why they hold such a special place in people's hearts. So that's just what I want to talk about this episode with Incredibles two. I wanted to kind of delve into my love of Pixar uh, for a little bit, but that's all we have for now. If you like what we're doing over here on the Crooked Table podcast, please consider contributing to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash crooked table. You can also rate and review the show on iTunes to help others find us. And you can find me, Robert Yanis Jr., on Twitter at Crooked Table. Of course, find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies at crookedtable.com. Um, next episode, probably going to be Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom related, so stay tuned for that. Until then, I've been Rob. We'll catch you around the table next week. Roll credits. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com.
All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED. <laughs> <laughs>